This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Thank you for being here. I love Christmas personally. Anybody in here just Christmas fans? Y'all been playing Christmas music since like July, all right? And you now this is the season where you're a little bit less of a freak, right? It's okay to do that. But do you remember when you were a child and it was Christmas? Man, Christmas was so much better when we were kids, wasn't it? I mean, I love decorations at Christmas. I love the lights. I love the trees. But when you were a kid, you never had to put any of that up. You know, and at this point of the year, I say put it up. There's some of y'all there thinking, oh, God, we got to take it down in just a few weeks. I love presents at Christmas. Don't you love presents? Everybody loves presents. But as a kid, I loved presents. I loved getting presents. But I don't ever remember when I was a kid thinking, how am I going to pay for Christmas this year? But there's some of y'all, y'all been planning and scheming and saving all year long. So you got your money. You ready to go for Christmas. And then there's some of y'all that just went, what? We got to pay for Christmas? How are we going to do that? Because you hadn't planned for it. So, I mean, I think that in this series, we're going to expose a truth for you that is vast and sweeping and should infect every single area of our life. And that is that not only is Christmas better as a child, but life is better if we live it like a child. I want to take you to this moment that Jesus is teaching in Mark chapter 10. It begins, as it's recorded in Scripture with this, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. Now, it's often easy to get involved and say the disciples were missing and all that stuff, but in their day, children were not as valued as they are today. All right, we love our kids, we value our kids, but in their day, children were an economic resource and they weren't really valuable until they got old enough to be productive. And so the, the disciples look at Jesus. Jesus is being inundated by children. This is just busyness. This isn't important. Let's get them away. Get them away from Jesus. But Jesus does something that's remarkable. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Pay attention to this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. See, the kingdom of God and the principles of the kingdom of God are designed to be like a child. And Jesus says, listen, if you won't become like a child, you will never be able to enter into the principles that I have designed to guide your life. So what does it mean to be like a child? The first thing that I have in your notes today is that children are simple. You ever notice that about us adults? We make everything complicated. We come up with all of our rules and then we add to our rules and then we add to the way that we want things to be done. As a matter of fact, some of y'all are in here today and you've created a system of rules and how you will and won't behave when you come to church. 
And the problem is, is that you get into moments that emotionally you get compromised. You're like, I said I never raise my hands, but I want to. I want to raise my hands right now. I'm so excited about this song, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because I decided I have that rule. I do not want to look a fool in front of all my friends. And some of y'all decided I ain't going to sing. And nobody in my world is ever going to hear me sing at all. Not even my spouse because I will embarrass you. You're all worried about being. But when you're a kid, you remember falling in love with something when you were a kid. You just lose it. You'd forget what room you were in, what state you were in, what planet you were on. You just fell wholeheartedly in love. My daughter, Adelaide, has a love affair that's been going on for a few years now. It's with queso. I don't know if anybody in here loves queso, but my daughter is in love with queso. She loves it so much that when we go to a Mexican restaurant, we have to get her own bowl of queso. She forgets that she's wearing clothes, that she's in public. Sometimes we'll catch her dipping her hand in the queso and just, oh man, it's just, and here's a picture of her a few days ago when she was eating some queso. Just look, I mean, it's by her eyes. I mean, how does that happen? You know how that happens? I want to be like that. I want to fall in love and forget. Just be in the moment. Just be so present. Because kids are simple. And the truth is, is that the best God-designed principles for life are childlike. Jesus says that if you ever want to enter the kingdom of God, if you're going to live by these principles, you must do it like a child. So the principles that we should be living our lives by are childlike. They are simple. And so many of us, in our religiosity, in our maturity, in our intellect, we have made them complicated. As a matter of fact, I'll show you one right here. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, where the Bible says, we live by faith and not by sight. Oh, that's a big one right there. Because if you're honest and introspective for a moment, we would say, hey, you know what? I, I really, actually, I live my life based on what I've seen or what I think I've saw. How much of our life is really based on faith. But God says, no, here's, here's, this is how you live. You live by faith, not by sight. So for the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about characteristics of God that based on the things that we've seen, many of us have pushed back against in the way that we think and believe about God. See, this week we're going to talk about the goodness of God, which is maybe contained in this simple title for this talk, God is for you. That God is for you. And next week we're going to talk about the presence of God. The reality that God is with you. And in the third week, the Sunday leading up to our big celebrations, I'm going to talk about the grace of God and the truth that God is forgives you. And at Vintage Christmas, our special services this year, we're going to talk about the power of God. 
we're going to talk about this one simple statement that our God can do anything. But see, those statements when we're kids, man, we just receive those so simply by faith, don't we? But it's so easy as we have seen things and grown and our minds begin to develop and expand and we think that we have grown in our intellect and we start to say, hey, you know, I believed that one time, but if you only knew what I had seen. Now, if you've ever been in my office, I have a what I call my wall of heroes. This is pictures of those guys uh, to the top left is Paul Tillich. He's a German theologian responsible for the contextualization of the gospel. Brilliant, brilliant thinker for the church. We owe him a debt of gratitude. Um, in the middle up there is Martin Luther, the great reformer to the right, Albert Einstein. And in the bottom, a man whose name is Karl Barth. Karl Barth was a German theologian when Hitler was on the rise in Germany. And he was vocal in his opposition to Hitler. He was so much so that his life became threatened and he made the decision, unlike his contemporary Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he made the decision to leave Germany. He fled to Switzerland, established a school at the University of Bonn and for, sen- for decades later is going to educate theological students. He's going to write some of the most important books that have influenced modern Christianity. Evangelical theon- theology and dogmatics in theology are two significant works that contributed to the way that we think about the church today, especially evangelical thought, the belief that the gospel isn't a message to be curated by a group of people who are believers, but it's a message that was meant to be shared with a lost and dying world. In 1962, Bart was given an invitation and traveled all across the United States. He would die just four years later in 1966. When he died, his death was so significant that the World Series was paused and a moment of silence was observed. In 1962, he gave a lecture at the University of Chicago in uh, one of their chapels and after the chapel, students were given the, uh, the opportunity to ask Dr. Bart questions. And the young seminary students stepped forward and said, Dr. Bart, out of all that you've studied, out of all the thoughts that have come through your mind and that you've read on paper, the things that you've written, what is the most profound, life-changing, what's the most complex thing you've ever known of God? And Dr. Bart smiled and started singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You see, when we're a kid, it's so easy to accept the idea that God is good and that God is for you. We hear it and we go, yes. But as we grow older, it becomes so much more difficult because so many of us say, but I've seen. But I've seen. And so I want to spend a few moments talking about the things that you may have seen that are causing you to push against the notion that God is good. The first thing that we've seen is hurts from our past. Hurts from 
our past. See, we all have pain that exists in our past. Every single one of us does. Maybe you're here today and you can identify with going to church when you were a kid and hearing about a good God that loved you and cared for you and was there for you that you could talk to and he would listen to you and answer your prayers and you went home and your parents started fighting. And in your room, you would get on your knees and you would pray, God, help mom and dad stop the fight. Help them to stop the fight. But the fighting only got worse and it only got worse. Before too long, mom and dad left each other. And they did what all good Christian parents do. They bought you a dog because Christian families do not have cats. It's just a well-known fact. Cats are unholy. Dogs are holy. So they bought you a dog and the dog filled a little bit of the hole that came from your parents' divorce and you loved on it, you cared for it, you took it for walks, you fed it, you gave it baths, but then one day it got out of the fence and ran into the road and it was hit by a car. And before too long, grandma or grandpa went into the hospital and you dared again to start to pray. And you prayed, God, heal them, let them come home, let them come home. And before long, they didn't have a chance to come home because they never came home. See, maybe you can identify with the psalmist David who in Psalm 42 verses 3 and 4 said, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things, these hurtful things, I remember as I pour out my soul. Not only do we have pain in our past, but we also, number two, we have trouble in the present. Maybe you feel a little bit like this verse from Job chapter 4, but now trouble has come to you and you are discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. You may be sitting there saying, I know that I've had some difficult times, but you have no idea right now, Kevin. I'm going through the most difficult battle of my life. And there are some of you that right now are in some of the most difficult seasons that you've ever faced in your entire life. Some of you will walk out of here and go home to creditors that are calling you nonstop when you can't pay your mortgage or your rent. Some of you will go back to marriages where you're not getting along at all. You're fighting nonstop. Some of you are going to leave here, and right now inside of you there is a disease that is fighting to kill you. There's real trouble in this moment And that trouble is pushing against the notion that God is good. And then there are some of us that are afflicted with number three, and that is anxiety about the future. I mean, it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, right? It's supposed to be, but there are some of you that when you think about the future of Christmas, you think, I can't, I can't do this again. I've got to go be around my family, and there's so much pain. And I'm not just talking about that creepy uncle that says weird things to you, okay? I'm not talking about that guy. I'm talking about people who have abused you and hurt you. And you think, there's no, I can't, I can't go do this again. And for some of you, when you think of Christmas and what lies in front of you, it's a Christmas where you're going to be alone. You think, I can't do this again. And there's anxiety 
and worry and fear about the future, but I want to remind you that all too often we let anxiety, worry, and fear write an ending to our story instead of faith. And Jesus, Jesus would remind you today that he wants you to see the ending of your story, not through fear, but through faith. Look at what he said in Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothes? Don't worry, because in faith, we can see a loving and good God. So what I want to do is, as we get ready to kind of march towards the end of this talk today, I want to give you evidence to see that God is a good God and that God is for you. If you take nothing away from this talk today, I want you to remember that God is good and he is for you. You, He has good plans for you. As a matter of fact, he even says that in Jeremiah 29, 11, where he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, God is a good God who is for you. And at Christmas, we're reminded of the links to which God would go to be for you. I'm about to read a verse that comes out of Romans 8. To me, it's a verse that speaks of the reality of Christmas. And I want you to see this as a God who would never hold anything back that you need. Look at this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Somebody needs that today. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God is for you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three steps, three keys to unlock in your heart the reality of the goodness of God and the truth that God is for you. The first thing that we have to do to see a good God and to know that God is for us is we must revisit the victories. We must revisit the victories. I love the book of Lamentations. You may never have read it, but honestly, there are a lot of us that could have written it. Because lamentation, you could just change that over to complaining, all right? It's a book of complaining. How many of y'all know you could have written a book complaining to God at some point, right? Most of us could have. And the prophet Jeremiah, who was beaten and imprisoned and almost killed so many times, is complaining to God, but in chapter 3, something remarkable shifts. Look at it. I remember my affliction... In my wandering, the bitterness and the gall, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Look at this. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faith. See, in the middle of his complaining, something shifts. 
And it is not his circumstance. Do you see that? His circumstances has not changed. Nothing about his life has changed except his perspective. And the truth is, is that your perspective is ground zero for the fight that you're fighting in your life to follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, the battle for victory in our walk with Jesus is ultimately a battle of perspective. How will you choose to see yourself and your life and your circumstances? How are you going to choose to tell your story? See, because we can tell the same story from two different perspectives. And it sounds vastly different. And I think one of the greatest questions you're going to consistently wrestle with is how will you remember your personal history? How are you going to remember it? Are you going to look back over your life and see the trials and remember the pain? Or are you going to see the victories and the times that you needed God and He showed up? Because when you tell your story, you can tell it as a victim or you can tell it as a victor. And the only difference is your perspective. You see, that's a great struggle within all of us. Romans 12.1 describes how God wants to change us. Look at this. Let God transform you into a new person. By how? By changing the way you think. If we allow him to change the way we think, then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We must learn to look over the past in our lives and see the victories, the times that we needed God and He showed up. God, You are so good. You have been there for me. You have been there for me. You have been there for me. The second thing we must do is we must release control. We must release control. Now, I'm a parent. I've got two little kids, five-year-old daughter, Addie. You met her a moment ago. And I've got a a three-year-old son. I don't know if you know this, if you're a parent in here, but every day we're in a struggle. And that's to prove to our kids who's in charge. Y'all ever ever realize that? It's almost like every night when they go to sleep, they reset in their brain, right? And the next day, all of a sudden, brand new struggle. I've got to prove to you that I'm in charge. The other day, I was taking my daughter to school. And we, I, I love taking her to school. It's one of my favorite times of the day. I get her up in the morning. We have breakfast. And then I get her dressed. And I take her. And we pray on the way to school. And I say this honestly. We don't pray because, like, I'm super spiritual. We pray because it's so sweet. Uh, I mean, it's just such a sweet moment with her to pray for her school day right before we get to school. And the other day, I was driving. And she goes, Dad, you're going the wrong way. What? First of all, you're five. Second of all, we're going the exact same way we went every day that we went to school. Every single, just be quiet. I'm going to turn on your playlist. You just sit back there and listen to your music here. So I think sometimes 
We're sitting in the back of the car. God's driving. And we're going, God, you're going the wrong way. God, I was supposed to get that promotion. God, I was supposed to get that job. God, God, I was supposed to be in that relationship. God, I'm, I'm supposed to have that life. I think sometimes God's just looking back. Can y'all just be quiet? Let me drive a car, please. Because he is in control. And I think so many of us live like Christian atheists where we mentally and maybe even emotionally would say that there is a God and believe in Jesus, but we live practically every day like life all depends on us. And that is a burdensome and weary lifestyle. In Matthew 11, Jesus speaks to that. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Just come. Because that lifestyle of rejecting the control of God and trying to assume control of your own life, well, it does something that's really dangerous when we try to take control of our lives. We've basically uninvited the power of God and the help of Jesus. Because look at how Jesus is going to teach us. He says, so come to me if you're weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest. That word yoke means to be joined. It's described how animals would be joined together. And so Jesus is saying, hey, come and be joined together in me. We will, we will go forward into the same job and the same task, but I will carry the burden for you. You will find that when you are joined to me, it is easy and you can rest. Because when... We let go of control in our lives. It invites the strength and the help of God into our lives. I don't know if any of your moms do what my mom does at Christmas. Every year, my mom buys the most ridiculous tape that she can buy every year to wrap presents with. It must be made of like Kevlar. Like you need a military-grade knife to get through this stuff. And so for years, we had to come to open presents at mom and dad's like armed you know, like we're going to bust in these presents. We're going to get in through. But then now we have kids. And obviously we cannot come fully armed to, you know, Christmas with kids. And so at Christmas now, we, when we open presents for them, we'll have to pop the tape open and give them the present. And then we'll hand it to them. And almost invariably they'll say this. Look, because they saw me struggling just moments ago trying to open it on my own, right? And... They go, look, Dad, I did it all by myself. Like, no, you didn't. I just popped the tape for you. So I think that so many of us are living with the illusion of control. You are not in control. It's a vast illusion that causes you to reject the power of God. And if we're going to fully see the goodness of God. We must learn to do number three in your notes today, to rely on God's power. You know, when you're a kid, you think your dad is the strongest man on the planet. Y'all remember that? 
I don't know if it's just a boy thing or maybe just because I'm stupid. But whenever I was a kid and I'd get out on the playground, right, people would try to pick on me and I'd say, my dad will beat your dad up. I committed my dad to so many fights against men who, now that I know him as I've gotten older, would have beat him senseless. Because he couldn't have handled that stuff. But when you're a kid, you just think there's no way. My dad is the biggest. But I want you to understand today that your dad, your heavenly father, has the power to win any battle that you're fighting today. See, in 2 Chronicles 32, the kingdom of Israel is going up against the king of Assyria. His forces are larger. His kingdom is bigger. His weaponry is better. But look at how God responds to the situation. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast armies with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us, and look at this, to fight our battles. I want you to know today that God is the kind of God who is for you. He is so good. He made a way to get into your life so that he can fight the fight that you're fighting right now. And so many of us aren't winning because we're trying to control it and manipulate it and do it on our own. And victory lies in this one verse in Exodus 14. In Exodus 14, 14, the Bible says, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. See, when I was a kid, we used to come home uh, off the bus before my parents would get home. And one day we were out in the front of our house in the road playing with some, we're not supposed to play in the road, but we were. We are playing with some of our friends, all right? And some neighborhood boys that were much older than us, we were probably older elementary, they were probably younger teenagers, decided to come over and make a mess. They took our, our four square ball and decided that they wanted to fight some of the kids. It's one of those moments where you just think back, that, like, what are you thinking? Most of our dads aren't home. Our parents aren't home. What's going on? But out, out of the houses around emerged our dads. They ran to the scene. And these stupid kids didn't realize that they were up against grown men at that moment. They decided that pride had a bigger play and they learned a little bit of a lesson. See, I want you to understand that God saw you in eternity hopeless and helplessly separated from himself. That sin had claimed you. It had bought you away from him. You were owned by it. And God knew the only way to get you back was to pay the price. And so at Christmas, we celebrate a God who held nothing back, who sent his son to earth so that he could be born in a manger in the most fragile of human conditions as a baby, that he could grow and take on the penalty that you deserved and that I deserved. God is 
for you. God is for you. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.